You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. How's it going? Good, good. Happy to be back chatting with you. I, I, I know you you say you always feel nervous when we begin these podcasts, but feel way more relaxed after. And I think we could both use that right now. Yeah, I mean, these are a source of therapy for me. <laughs> I hope you don't mind. I'm not paying you oh, I'm, for I'm the not, therapy session here. I don't think I'm the one therapizing you. <laughs> well, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's self-therapy then. Self-therapy, yeah, just kind of talking about what's going on. Yeah, it feels good to get it off your chest. It feels good. I mean, especially for somebody who doesn't have a lot of relationships with people where I can open up the way that I do here with thousands and thousands of listeners. (laughs) Uh, Today, I'm excited because we're going to be speaking with the author of Modern Horror. And we need more sex workers on this podcast because if we're talking sex education, if we're talking about relationships, this is a, a big part of sexuality and often ignored, often kind of treated as a footnote. And I think that many of us live in this world of a kind of a divide of us versus them, right? Uh, You know, maybe we have interactions with sex workers in their professional capacity. Uh, Maybe we have friends who are sex workers and we don't even realize it. And there, there are many sex workers in my field who are educators and who are also therapists. And hearing the stories of how stigma adversely affects their life, their work, their friendships uh, is heartbreaking. But on the flip side, I think we're, we're going to be having a conversation about the positivity, about all of the wonderful outcomes of sex work. And, you know, I've, I have always in my adult life regarded sex work as work and, of course, uh, wanted to support sex workers. But I had a, a really enlightening moment when I did my very first SAR so SAR stands for a couple of things, but it, it, back then the course I took was called Sexual Attitude Reassessment. And in a SAR, you learn about all types of sex. You're exposed to a range of sexual materials. And part of the, part of the purpose is education, and part of it is simply exposure, to expose you to a range of sexual possibilities so that when it comes time in therapy or in education to address the needs of your clients, they're not doing the teaching for you. And they did have a sex worker panel in this SAR. This is, I mean, I'm trying to think, this probably was 2007 or something like that. And it really helped to open my perspective and see sex workers as really helping healing professions because this this woman who spoke with us talked about the fact that she had clients who had never been touched since they were a child like she talked about this one client who had a skin issue and you know felt he couldn't date and didn't know how to access physical touch and relationships and she was part of his journey back to human physical affection. I remember, I'm not telling it with the power and passion with which she did, but I remember it being very moving and opening my eyes to say, oh, sex work's not just work. It is, it is, you know, part of healing and part of therapy. And I think people in academia, those of us, you know, working in so the so-called helping professions like therapists and counselors, we tend to think that we've got a lockdown and treat our work as though like there's something we know that other people 
don't. But I'm not saying that there isn't great value in seeing a therapist or a counselor, but I think we, there, there is a massive uh, God complex that needs to be relinquished and see that there are so many different ways to heal. Because cultures, ha- you know, different cultures have been healing in different ways for thousands and thousands of years, whether it's through ritual or song or dance or connection with nature or community connection. There's not just one way to heal. And I see sex workers as part of that, not just healing journey. For some people, it is more about pleasure. For some people, it's about a relationship, you know, the girlfriend experience. But I'm I'm really excited to have our guest joining us today. Before we dive in, I want to introduce a new sponsor for the podcast this month, which is exciting for us. And uh, I really am excited about uh, the services being offered by Let's Get Checked. Uh, They are offering online via distance STI testing. So you order online, they deliver you the kit, you collect your sample, and you return it using a prepaid shipping label. And then you can review your results online within two to five days, uh, confidential, of course, and it's a secure online account. So it's letsgetchecked.com. And if you can please, if you order, well, you'll get a discount. Uh, use code Dr. Jess, D-R-J-E-S-S, so that uh, you know they know that Folks from our podcast are listening. If you're overdue for a test, if you are supposed to get tested around this time of year, because we should be tested regularly, and over 51% of people don't get tested because they're afraid to bring up sex or STIs with their healthcare provider, which is really terrifying. So consider Let's Get Checked. Uh, you can either go to letsgetchecked.com and use code Dr. Jess, or you can go to my unique URL, which is try lgc.com slash Dr. Jess. I know that's a bit more complicated. So if you just use Dr. Jess at checkout, you'll get a discount and I will get credit for them knowing that you were listening. So much, much appreciated. Let's get check.com. On the line with us today is writer, performer, and sex worker, Andrea Warehun, the author and force behind the sold out sex work memoir, Modern Whore, as well as the short film adaptation of the same name. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, Dr. Jess. (laughs) You can just call me Jess. Only Brandon has to call me Dr. Jess. (laughs) I like it. It's a bed. It's a bedroom thing. It's what a bedroom can I say? Thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, how are you doing? I imagine your work has changed rather dramatically with the government restrictions on in-person socializing. Yes. So I'm no longer stripping. There's no in-person work going on for me anymore. But I have, um, somewhat surprisingly, adapted to this new. Uh, digital world we're in where I offer um, a higher amuse service uh, and I was very happy to discover the acronym for higher amuse is ham um, <laughs> <laughs> hiring a ham it's me um, and it started off as um, reading to clients I had a client who reached out and was was interested in me reading a book to him and then it kind of branched out from there um, and now I offer sort of a variety of, of services that are mostly quite innocent. Of course, I am still, well, I'm, I'm still dabbling a little bit in, in you know, selling nudes, selling videos. Um, but I've been able to keep quite a float um, during the pandemic, um, which to me is sort of a testament to the ingenuity of, of sex workers to find a way to sell our wares because our body is our labor. So, 
yeah, yeah, I've been I've been able to make it work. It's a massive change, but I'm actually pretty excited about what is to come. Do you think you'll continue with this ham work? Can I call it that? <laughs> when uh, when things do return to some degree of normalcy and you can get back to work? Honestly, I'm I'm pretty new to it, but I'm making comparable money. And okay. there's certainly a lot less risk. I know that the club that I work for is already talking about opening in the next couple of weeks, which is a ridiculous uh, thing. I, I really don't see how that's possible, but I certainly feel a lot safer doing what I'm doing. Um, and it's stimulating in a different way. Um, I think I probably will continue being a ham after the pandemic. <laughs> uh, tell me, what are you doing as a muse? So I, I love the idea of being read to. I love when Brandon reads to me. Should I should add some context here. As soon as I start to read to Jess, because she asked me to read sometimes at night, she's asleep within 30 seconds. <laughs> like there's, It's just immediately like knockout. Yeah, but if you were to stop reading, I'd wake up yeah, like a child. I know. So it's like I just have to continually read for hours and hours and hours. <laughs> hours. That's how I get through books. Oh, yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. Okay. Okay, so Andrea, people hire you to read. What else? How else do you function as a as an online muse? This is fascinating to me. Oh my god, it's so it's so interesting. It's yeah, like I said, it's it's very much in development. Um, I have a client that asked me yesterday whether um, we could collaborate on this, like a photo comic. So we would develop a story together, and then uh, I guess I would take pictures of myself, and then we he would add like word bubbles. Uh, we would create a story that way. Uh, I know. And I, I read that email. I was like, oh, my God, this is exactly what I'm going for. I'm essentially looking for creative collaborators during the pandemic and charging $100 an hour for that service, uh, which I think is pretty fair uh, and accessible. Um, and so, yeah, like stuff like that, like making art together is so interesting. I mean, I have another client besides like reading novels. I'm reading him my own book. So it's sort of like, you know, a live audiobook where you get to discuss the story with the author <laughs> after the, the story is finished, which is really cool. Um, and yeah, it's like I have another client who uh, paid me to write him emails. I mean, it's a dream come true, to be honest. <laughs> yes. like And so no risk, especially when people are really concerned about risk right now. I, I love it. Now, you have experience stripping. You have experience escorting. I want to know what you what you love about your work. I mean, I my favorite part of sex work, and this is sort of how it, it, it bleeds into what I'm doing with my ham services, is the connection uh, that can be made with a client um, on an intellectual level. And, and on several different levels, via conversation, uh, finding the things that we have in common. Um, like I read about in, in Modern Horror, how it didn't really take much for me to want to have sex with my clients if we had one thing in common. We've already got a connection. If I could make them laugh, great, I'm already lubed up and ready to go. You know, it doesn't take much for me to get excited about exploring sexuality with someone, especially in the context um, of sex work, which is so, um, the boundaries are so clear. So I really, I really enjoy developing regular relationships with my clientele. Um, it's what I did as an escort. It's what I did as a stripper. Um, it was my specialty to essentially 
build relationships with my clients and have them coming back week after week, um, you know, with with the sexual service sort of as a, uh, you know, the dessert at the end of a meal. Like it wasn't the whole thing. It wasn't the only reason why they were coming in to see me. Um, but obviously, of course, it's a part of, you know, what I offer. But the connection, I think, is is what creates like years long relationships with uh, my clientele. So what what can we learn from you? What can what what are people doing wrong? What can we do better to cultivate these connections? Because you know you hear about people dating, and and both uh, you and us, you and us, <laughs> we're, we're located in Toronto, where people are always complaining about the dating scene. So what can people do to create that connection to get excited instead of you know you know coming home and complaining about another bad date? Oh my gosh! I mean. <laughs> I haven't dated in so long, so I'm not even sure. And I think, you know, the beauty of sex work is that it's it the 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 like I said before, the context is so clear. You know, you're with someone mm-hmm. for an hour. You know exactly what you're trading, essentially. You know, as a sex worker, I always get you know what I want up front, <laughs> which is <laughs> the money, and then um, we get to, uh, you know what we're both there for, which is, you know, sexual pleasure. Um, As far as communication is concerned, I mean, you have to, I think it's important to be on the same page, you know, have your expectations sort of laid out um, pretty early on, Um, be open-minded, have fun, but also for me, an important aspect of my work is um, knowing how to say no, knowing when someone is a waste of time, knowing, I mean, uh, time wasters is that's a big thing in sex work is is not wasting your time with with people that are really just uh, taking your time without any intention of compensating you and I think the same can be said in in um, dating in a non sex work context I think it's important to know uh, upfront <laughs> whether you're on the same page whether you want the same things and if you don't want the same things then getting out of dodge as soon as possible. How do you, so I'm wondering about the relationships that you've cultivated. Do you find that you feel fulfilled having these different relationships, um, you know, work and blurring the lines of some, like taking satisfaction out of your work and then also having these relationships? Do you know what I mean by that? Like I'm... I have no clue what you mean. I'm just trying to think. So people often are looking for a relationship with one partner. Yeah. And from that one partner, they derive satisfaction. Whereas it seems to me like you're deriving satisfaction from the from from your work, from your clients. Like is that fulfilling? Like do you feel like you have what you what other people are striving to have in a monogamous relationship through your work? That's really interesting. I mean, I identify as polyamorous, which is probably why sex work is so um, ideal for me. Um, I, I find it quite natural to um, love multiple people, and I can say there are clients that I do love, um, clients that have been in my life now for many years and have supported my endeavors, who are great patrons of my art. Um, and those people, you know, as far as blurring the lines is concerned, you know, yeah, some of those clients end up becoming part of my real life or my my, my life outside of, of work, you know, so they can call me by my real name instead of my work name. Or, you know, some of them even uh, like 
know where I live. And during the pandemic, I've been dropping by, you know, of course, with a little offering and an envelope to be put into (laughs) (laughs) because that's, you know, that's the deal. Um, But yeah, I mean, these are very significant relationships that I have uh, with some of my clients. And like I said, the, the building of a regular client requires, um, it can't just be about the money and it is about building relationship. Um, I love that. I I love that. And I, I imagine I'm curious as to that transition from something that is a little bit more transactional. So you talk about knowing what you want, they know what they want. And I wish people would bring that into dating, right? As opposed to playing games, as opposed to saying you want one thing and another. Uh, we see that all the time with people saying, oh, I just I just want to be friends. I can't get your number to be friends. Well, really, because I don't see you asking Brandon for his number. Why would you want to be fr- I'm not that great of a friend, let me tell you. Uh, so the, the clarity with which you're approaching relationships makes sense. And then when they transition to being a part of your life as well of a, as a client, is that a, a very natural transition? Is it something you have to talk about? I mean, it's not, it's uh, like very few cross the Rubicon into my, you know, personal life. Like I have very few clients that, you know, can not only interact with me, but can interact with my friends. But I do have clients like that. Um, you know, I have like I have a client that's that had a party, and I invited my mom to the party. Like, there, it, these things are possible. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's very few people get to go deeper into my personal life, but most clients don't actually want to cross that line. You know, there's, Ah. they have their own reasons for seeing sex workers and it's not necessarily to become my friend or like, you know, to get really like deep into my life. They, they get a service from me and, um, it's it's within the confines of the hour or whatever agreement we have and it doesn't go outside of that and and uh the vast majority of clientele respect that i love that and so i I wanted to talk about your memoir modern horror and learn a bit more about your journey because you you say that you were part in part inspired by a visit to a strip club and I also read that you were inspired by working as a barista and wondering if what you were really selling was sex when there's a little bit of cleavage. Is that is that accurate? That is 100% accurate. <laughs> uh, so I, I want to read a quick line from, from your memoir. So you talk about being at the strip, strip club and you describe it. To me, it seemed like an inverted church. The stripper come preacher on stage delivering her sexy, wordless sermon The rapt congregation nursed their overpriced bottles of beer. The devout throwing their tithings on stage. The most pious of worshipers looking to confess their sins in private for $20 a song. I felt like I'd experienced a conversion. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, what brought you to the strip club? How did you leave? What were you thinking? And what what was your journey into into this field? Yeah, so I was um, I was a university student. Um, I, I was twenty one, or I was twenty years old. So I'd never been to a strip club before. I'd heard all sorts of things. I had classmates who were talking about having gone to um, various strip clubs and how the women were all dead eyed dancers and they all looked like they hated their lives and they wanted to die, and yet they were present for that 
entertainment, it's very strange. But I I had my own expectations of what a strip club would be like. And uh, one evening I was hanging out with a friend in Riverdale Park and we were drinking, we were smoking a joint, we were relaxing and we started talking about strip clubs. And uh, he... He asked if I'd ever been, and I said no. And he said, well, Jilly's is right down the street. <laughs> you want to go? And it was around last call. So I said, what the hell? Let's go. So we went, and um, what I witnessed was what I felt to be, like you said, like a, like an inverted church. Like, um, here is a beautiful, uh, naked, dancing woman on a stage, Um in front of a rapt audience, sipping their beer. Um, and once she gets off stage, she has the opportunity to um, have sort of a confessional type experience in the form of a lap dance for the neat tithing of $20 a song. Um, I, I grew up in uh, sort of the Catholic tradition. I went to Catholic schools. My mom is a practicing Catholic, so I can't help sometimes to to apply a religious lens to the things that I see. But to me, being in that environment, in an environment that had been so shamed and so stigmatized and considered so dark and uh, nefarious in our culture, I couldn't help but see it as as sort of a dark church. And what was being worshipped was the feminine, was feminine sexuality. What could be so harmful about a beautiful naked woman dancing on a stage? I was so drawn to it and something inside of me was like, this is where you have to be. And so I thought at first I would become a waitress. I didn't immediately identify with the woman on stage. I think I was too scared of that possibility because I'd never ever considered sex work. So I, I started looking up jobs as uh, a waitress in clubs and then doing more research about what what it would be like to be a stripper in Toronto. And I found some pretty excellent resources. And then um, I started going to strip clubs a lot. <laughs> I somehow met people that were that wanted to go to strip clubs. And so the more I went, the closer I got to that realization that I didn't want to be near the dancers. I wanted to become a dancer. I wanted to be that woman on stage, um, showing her body, dancing to music, um, getting the crowd all riled up. That to me sounded very interesting and very exciting. So um, yeah, then from there, I you know, the license is expensive, that became a barrier, but I, I started going to classes, pole dance classes, I, I bought some shoes, I started like practicing, I really didn't want to be a dork uh, if I did go into <laughs> it. And then I started telling people that I wanted to become a stripper. And then people started coming out of the woodwork to say the same thing, which was that I should consider escorting instead. Um, because it was uh, a more private, uh, a safer and, and more lucrative form of sex work. And I at first was quite taken aback. I didn't think that that was what I wanted to do. I thought, I want the stage. I don't want to do this privately. I want to be out there. Um, but eventually, having done some research, I decided, you know what? Okay, I will try the escorting route first. And I... Uh, found an agency, uh, called them, got an interview, scare quotes, interview, uh, <laughs> met up with them, got the job, um, and uh, started that week. What is the interview, air quotes? 
<laughs> the interview was um, meeting the, the two agency owners in their SUV uh, and being told how it works. Ah, okay. And uh, I mean, I, I'm curious about, you know, you tell it in such a beautiful way, but also kind of adorable, right? This is what I wanted to do, and this is why I wanted to do it. But then we have the societal shame mm-hmm. of sex work. And so, you know, how did you reconcile that individually? Did that affect your relationships, like your friendships, uh, you know, your family's reaction? Do you, Have you always had support around you? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I... I am so bad at hiding. I'm so bad at lying. I'm I'm always compelled to be myself and honest in in every situation, which you know uh, is not always the right thing to do. Sometimes you do need to you know keep your cards close. Uh, sometimes you know not every single person that you meet needs to know you're a whore. Um, this is something I've learned <laughs> over the years. <laughs> but um, I in the beginning. I told my close friends and my close friends were very supportive. And then within six months, I had to tell my parents. I could not lie to them any longer. It was becoming so incredibly painful to hide this new job that I had that gave me so much joy and so much pride. And I was making money like I had never made money before. Because like you said, I my experience was generally in the service industry, working at cafes or working at restaurants, making tips and, you know, wearing, you know, low cut tops and jiggling my boobies for a little extra cash. So um it wasn't uh, something that I felt that I could just, you know, bring up with my parents. But when I did, people are surprised by this, but it was actually my dad who was quite supportive or at least, you know, didn't react in a negative way. He was like, OK, well, you've got a good head on your shoulders. I trust you know what you're doing. And if anyone hurts you, I will beat the living shit out of them. I was like, that's an excellent dad response. Um, and then when I told my mom, she was she was entirely devastated. It it really, really hurt her. It was as if like I I told her and, and it looked like, you know, she was on the couch and I had shot her and she was just slumped and like sliding off the couch. Like she looked dead. It was really scary and sad and deeply emotional. Um, and for me, I felt it was important to tell her because I had this like fire in my my body that was like burning me alive. Um, and it was, you know, the shame that I had and I just desperately wanted to get rid of it. And so when I told her that, she's like, well, you just burned me alive. And so I learned in that moment that while my own desire to be upfront and to tell the truth and to uh, uh, be honest about what I was doing, it's actually... Uh, coming out, you have to be careful with that information. It has to be methodical. It's 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 one of those things where it can, uh, well, it certainly will change your life to come out as a sex worker, but it can also destroy relationships, you know? So thankfully with my mom, even though she was deeply hurt um, and had all sorts of insecurities about the way that she had raised me and felt that she had failed as a parent because I'd become a sex worker. And I had to eventually try and convince her that it was in fact because of her excellent parenting that she had taught me to be myself and she had taught me to uh, go for what I want and to 
fight, you know, for the rights of, of marginalized people. I mean, uh, she had been like, a, you know, the president of her labor union at one time. And so had my dad. And and here I am, a sex worker, uh, you know, this entire workforce of people that that desperately need labor rights. And so I was like, mom, like, I'm, I'm actually kind of following in your footsteps here. Um, and that that's like a hard lesson when, you know, the last thing any mother wants to hear is that your daughter's a whore. Um, but eventually over time through like just constant conversation, um, she did come around and now she's like, you know, one of my greatest champions. So I'm incredibly lucky to have my mom on my side. That, that coming out process sounds, you know, so challenging. I'm curious, uh, what we can do to be more supportive. You know, maybe you have a friend who's a sex worker and they haven't told you yet. Maybe there's somebody you work with who moonlights as a sex worker and is, is ashamed to tell you or afraid to tell you. What can people do to make that coming out process easier for sex workers to, to, to indicate that we we are allies and, and you know, want to be a part of your life more fully? Not that you, you know, because so many sex workers can live parts of their life with friends and parts of their lives with, lives with family, but hide this piece that you said was so difficult to hide. Yeah, it's an excellent question. I think um, when you're a sex worker and you're in the closet, I feel like, you know, not not every sex worker wants to come out. But if a sex worker is curious about coming out and, and curious about testing the waters, she's going to be um, paying attention to the way people talk about sex work. <laughs> she's going to be highly attuned to whether the person she's talking to, the friend, the potential ally, is uh, someone who maybe leans towards slut-shaming people, mm-hmm. you know, um, whether someone is uh, relatively sex positive in their views, whether they are judgmental, whether they are um, open-minded. I mean, these are things that make a person feel more comfortable uh, as far as disclosing is concerned. And so as an ally, like if, you, I mean, you don't have to like, you know, make a Facebook post and say, if any of my friends are sex workers, feel free to come <laughs> out to me because I think you're just great. Like, you don't have to do that. <laughs> but you, I think as far as a friend is concerned, you know, if you've already demonstrated that you you are trustworthy and that you can hold space uh, for vulnerability in your friendship and that you will stand by a friend, even if you don't think sex work is the right path for them, um, I, I think that, that that makes you a good person to come out to potentially. Just be a good person and someone will probably come out. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's so interesting. I find that, you know, in my travels, in in my work, I talk to so many people on the airplane or in the airport. And, you know, it's just casual conversation. But once we start talking, I can't tell you how many people tell me that they're traveling for sex work. Wow. And I think, like, it's it's just so interesting. And many of them sitting at the front of the plane, too. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, that, that's where to sit if you can. And if you're, you know, if your work affords it, <laughs> affords it for you. But... Uh, yeah, I think that, um, you know, they'll, you know, begin by saying, oh, I'm going to work. Like, I, I think about, for example, traveling in Canada to the west, uh, to the oil areas. They'll say, oh, I work on I work on site. And then as we get talking and they ask what I do, you know, within five, ten minutes, they're talking. But actually, I, I go out there and I, I escort or, you know, I'm, I'm doing sugar babying or whatever it is they're doing. And I, I think it's so important to normalize conversations 
I really appreciate your your saying that the way we talk, like the little microaggressions around slut shaming, the jokes, the language. I'm I'm sure that's really tough on folks. And and you talk about fighting for marginalized populations, including sex workers who need worker rights. I I understand you do work with Maggie's, which is the Toronto Sex Workers Action Project. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, so I'm I'm employed as a peer outreach worker with Maggie's. um, And I've I've worked with them for the last two years. Um, They are well, the the oldest, the longest running sex worker organization in Canada. Uh, they're an excellent organization that caters specifically to sex workers um, all across the spectrum, or one may say the hierarchy, the hierarchy, as we say in our circles. Um, so that that includes people who uh, have street based experience, um, and then you know all the way to the top of the the high class escort sitting at the front of the plane. You know we also service them. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a ton of programming that we do, and, and I've been very impressed with how they've transitioned to online outreach as a result of the pandemic. They've done some pretty excellent work. I was able to lead a mask handmade uh, mask making workshop over Zoom for Maggie's uh, recently, which is a lot of fun. A stitch and bitch, so we could just talk about. Um, so yeah, Maggie's does incredible work and, and a big part of uh, what I was doing pre-pandemic um, was uh, outreach on um, the strolls, the strolls that are still operating in the city uh, where uh, people work at night. Um, so where I usually did outreach was on the train stroll, um, sort of in the east end of, uh, not quite the east end, but around Ellen Gardens in Toronto. Um, and going out and and checking in on everyone who's working and asking if they're good and what they need and if they need any condoms or they need any harm reduction supplies, we got them. Um, and that that's like deeply fulfilling work. Um, and for me as a sex worker who, you know, I'm a stripper, like, and I work down the street from the stroll. I, I love being able to uh, work on the street and uh, see the familiar faces that are out there working and listen to their conversations because I'll tell you they're the exact same conversations that are happening at the club you know sex workers are sex workers no matter where you are positioned and I think there's a lot of um, misconceptions and stereotypes about what it means to be a street-based sex worker and um, I will tell you as someone I'm not, I've never done it but I you know have seen it and I've talked to the people who work out there it works for them it's a it's an accessible form of sex work uh, that works for them. So, um, all the power to them, um, and all my love to them. I I really really love everyone that I've been able to meet through outreach. So yeah, it's uh, I love Maggie's to death, and I'm I'm so proud of the work that we've done and um, the work that we continue to do. I I appreciate that you bring up the hierarchy as well. So this notion that there are some sex work jobs that are more highly regarded and others that are more stigmatized. And I'm sure the struggles can be different because of stigma. I actually remember I used to be a high school teacher uh, at at an alternative school in Toronto, and you are bringing up all of our stomping grounds. So Jilly's is, uh, Jilly's is now gone. It's now the Broadview Hotel, but it is at our corner. We live really one block from there. Uh, we, we were in Riverdale Park yesterday, and the, what did you call it, where they work on the street? The, the stroll. 
oh. the stroll. I, I lived on Bleecker Street, so uh, I used to always see the workers on the corner. And in fact, I, I don't know if this is work you do with Maggie's, but once in a while I would see the cops harassing them. Yep. Uh, and I don't know if that, if that situation has improved or if there are supports that can be, be offered. But uh, yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, an important point that uh, we we tend to, even within a stigmatized or marginalized population, further stigmatize some versus others. And, and you're all doing such important work. You know, w- one thing when I was, I was reading an excerpt from your book, you were talking about um, an older man uh, named Albert. And you talk about caressing his sagging skin um, with curiosity and joy and feeling that even though you know, he was older, the man was so alive with energy and youthful energy and kind of enjoying enjoying your time and you call it your love making with him and I'm I'm so curious what determines whether or not you really enjoy an experience because I think people make a lot of assumptions like if someone looks a certain way or if someone speaks to you a certain way but there's got to be more to it than that like all sexual experiences of course Um, I mean, in a sex work context, um, the greatest determinant of whether I'm going to enjoy myself is whether that person has provided the money up front, okay, (laughs) haggling me or making it difficult for me or, you know, you know, trying to blur the lines and saying they don't owe me that like, you know, they want to be more blah, 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 you know, forget it money up front first, um, or as we say, cash on the dash, (laughs) (laughs) um, first and foremost. And then, you know, the rest is. So, okay, you know, is he clean? Is he like, if he stinks, I'm gonna have a bad time. Uh, Attractiveness levels, you know, objectively speaking, you know, is he good looking, is he not good looking? Doesn't matter. If you're being paid for it, part of what your expertise is, is um, having, you know, a sexual uh, interaction with someone that is not physically attractive necessarily. But that doesn't stop you if you've been paid and uh, you know, he smells fine and <laughs> he's kind and he's generous and he's uh, not pushing your boundaries at all. And uh, he's present and, uh, you know, he's respectful. Like those are, I mean, those things go such a, a long way and those things don't cost money. You know, it doesn't cost money to be respectful to a sex worker. Um, so, yeah, and like, you know, don't waste time. Don't, uh, you know, try and get more time out of a sex worker. You know, we're highly attuned to what our boundaries are and uh, what we're providing uh, and what we're getting in return. So when somebody starts to push on that, we're very aware of what they're doing. And we always have to uh, make a choice in the moment whether it's worth it for us to have our boundaries pushed. Because sometimes, you know, if a man's, if a client is a high spender, one might be a little bit more lenient as far as the boundaries are concerned, right? Um, but if he's not spending money, he's got very little leeway in that regard. Now, before we let you go, because I, I have so many questions for you, but uh, we have to let you go. Can you can you tell us what we all can do differently or what we get wrong? What, what do you want people to know about sex work and take away from your book and your your film project, Modern Horror? Oh, I mean, the number one thing I would love for people to take away from the modern horror endeavor is that sex workers are human beings who deserve equal rights. Um, uh, They deserve to be respected um, and heard first and foremost. I think we need to examine why the laws surrounding sex work 
um, seem to always uh, exclude the sex workers themselves. I think we need to hear from sex workers, and that includes people who enjoy their job. I think we're very familiar with the same old stories of victimhood and tragedy and uh, you know substance abuse and poverty and uh, you know that's 100% part of, of the sex work puzzle and uh, certainly uh, represents some people's experience but we really miss out on the bigger picture of what it is that sex workers offer and the value of what we offer um, and I think through modern horror I, we can sort of see how absolutely ridiculous and draconian these laws are and, and how sexual shame has still um, clawed its way into our laws and uh, make the laws serve to make our lives um, a lot less safe and um, you know I hope that uh, people can engage in the work and, and understand that decriminalization of sex work is is the only way forward for uh, sex worker rights. Thank you. Yeah. And so thank you for sharing your voice. I always think about sex work because I often get asked about it, you know, because I'm always doing press ops on anything related to sex. And I, I'm reminded of nothing with nothing about us without us. So I'm not the voice. And I really appreciate your voice. Folks can learn more at modernwhore.com. And the, the book is sold out, but you'll be releasing a, a new version soon. And I understand the Canadian premiere of modern horror is slated for Toronto's Hot Docs Film Festival. I'm not sure if that's still on, but people can can check that out and follow along on Instagram. Your adorable posts, Wiener Woman, W E E, Wiener Woman. Uh, really appreciate your time today, Andrea. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. It's been a pleasure. I find this a, an important and interesting discussion, and I, I've taken a lot out of it. You know, the reminder that if we were more straightforward about what we were looking for in a relationship and not that it's always transactional but there is always an exchange whether it's financial or relational or practical or sexual and there are so many games in dating you know even even when i talk to some folks in the field who are you know dating experts or dating coaches some of them are i think excellent and some of them are still stuck in in games, you know, don't call them until X number of, di of days have surpassed or, you know, act this way because men are into this and women are into that. And if we could just be more straightforward using sex work in part as a model, I find that really, I think, a useful, useful lens. And uh, I do think these conversations also are a reminder of how we all need to continue to chip away at our own biases because, we are, I think all of us, raised with a bias against sex work. And even those of us who believe that sex work is work and support sex workers. And by the way, we all, most of us, have hired a sex worker in some way, even just watching porn. If you consume porn and hopefully people are purchasing their porn, then this is this is sex work. And we need to be more more mindful of it. And I, I interviewed Jet Setting Jasmine the other day. Uh, she is... Uh, a counselor, a therapist, and also she has two master's degrees, and she's been on the podcast before, and she's also uh, a performer, an adult performer, and she shared some insight for therapists to support their sex worker clients because sex work is common; it's more common than we realize. I actually, I, I'm, I'm always so surprised at how many people come out to me as sex workers in unexpected places, as I said, on a plane or in a restaurant, and so really appreciate Andrea's reminder that showing that we're allies isn't necessarily about putting it on my Facebook profile, 
although therapists can do that. If there are therapists listening, one of Jasmine's pieces of insight in, in our recent interview, and I'm going to try and post it on the on the blog with this podcast as well. One of her insights was that it's helpful for therapists to let potential clients know that they are open to and skilled at working with sex workers. So the way we say, you know, we're LGBTQ friendly or we work with, you know, specific populations, similarly, we can do so. And, and you may think, well, why do you have to call out that group? Well, we're, we're bringing attention to it because when you're fo- forced to the margins, you're so used to being rendered invisible and so used to not being served and so used to facing either discrimination, well, definitely discrimination, but also the microaggressions. So I appreciate Andrea's reminder that showing that you're an ally can you know, often be in the w- way we speak and the way we speak about people. I'm just listening and nodding my head and agreeing. I think everything you said carries so much weight. And, and from my perspective right now, I'm just thinking sex workers provide a service. Everyone desires in some form, whether it's with themselves or with somebody else, touch sex. Almost everyone. Almost everyone. I'm sorry, I should have corrected myself there. But they, um, almost everyone is, is longing for sex. It's what our culture, our society drives home at every point. I remember King Noir doing our interview with him talking about you know, how we're sold sex and then sex is used to oppress us. And I thought that was a really interesting take. But all of this work is needed. And when it comes with this judgment from everybody else who ultimately desires the touch, the pleasure, just seems completely ridiculous to me. Yeah. Like it, it, it just, honestly, it almost irritates me. And I guess the another takeaway for me is let's not just support sex workers. Let's show the reverence that that they deserve. So I really appreciate uh, this conversation. appreciate Andrea's insights. Highly recommend you check out Modern Whore. And uh, yeah, thanks for chatting, baby. Yeah, thank you. Uh, before we go, please do check out letsgetchecked.com. They offer tests from the comfort of your home. You mail in your samples. They have a diabetes test, all the STI tests, Lyme disease tests, liver tests, cholesterol tests, all of those things that we need, and especially more of us staying home and uh, avoiding the doctor's office when we can. Of course, go in if you have to. So letsgetchecked.com. Please use my prim- promo code, Dr. Jess, D-R for doctor uh, to save some money and also make sure people know that you have been listening to this podcast. So wherever you're at, hope you have a great week. If you are enjoying this, please like, subscribe, and share. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life. Improve your life.